Thank you, Chris. Let's uh, let's pray, shall we? Lord, as we uh, think about the uh, the build-up to the climax of Christian, of Jesus' ministry, uh, Lord, we pray that uh, you will help us to hear your voice and your feel your nudge this morning as we uh, look at this text. And uh, please speak to each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the uh, features of the uh, of any special event, as I sort of hinted at to the kids, really, is the build-up. And as we continue our journey through Lent, we get something of the sense, the flavour, the excitement, even of the build-up to two great events. For Jews, of course, it was about to be uh, the Passover, as the beginning of that text makes clear, uh, when people would gather in Jerusalem uh, to celebrate the supernatural rescue. Uh, happened a long time ago, of course, in, in their history, but they were still celebrating it, uh, their rescue from Egypt. And as they went up to uh, Jerusalem, which was of course on the top of a mountain, uh, they sang the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 120 to 136, uh, which include the one today, 126, uh, about streams in the Negev and so on, uh, God restoring their fortunes. That's Jews. But Christians, we're also building up to an even greater Passover. Yeah, uh, where we're building up to a greater Passover, the rescue not just uh, from Egypt, but uh, we're building up to Good Friday and Easter, uh, rescue from sin and death. The very last instalment of the uh, build-up will be next Sunday when Dan preaches to us about uh, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem but today's instalment happens just a couple of miles away across the Kidron Valley and over the Mount of Olives in the village of Bethany. We're thinking about that uh, today. Now, uh, the, uh, we've got a picture of the... Uh... This is how one artist renders that scene in Bethany. And we're in John 12 today, so please turn to page 1246 of the Church Bibles. Uh, John 12, reading from verse 1. We learn straight away where this is, and then we learn in verse 2 about uh, the reason for the banquet uh, being given. The banquet is in Jesus' honour because he's raised a local resident, Lazarus, from the dead. That's a pretty big thing, isn't it? I mean, banquets are thrown for all sorts of reasons, but I think in this case a banquet was the very least that uh, the local people could do. Uh, We're told that Jesus and Lazarus are two of the diners, and we read in verse 2 that Martha is among those serving. Of course, that's consistent with what we know about Martha from Luke 10, where she, remember that's the time when she gets busy with the preparations for another meal and gets so busy with the practical preparations for that that she kind of loses sight of what's most important. 
But on this occasion, Jesus is the centre of the thing, and uh, everybody's, everything's revolving around him. Interestingly, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, all have an anointing at a meal. The Luke one is a bit different from the others. Uh, Of course, there are some similarities, uh, but we looked at that in our recent series in November on the uh, meals with Jesus. So we'll concentrate on the others today, particularly we're looking at uh, uh, John 12, of course, but all three place this banquet uh, right at the end of Jesus' ministry, part of the build-up to the climax of Good Friday and Easter Let's look at uh, John 12. Of course, uh, as verse 2 tells us, then Lazarus and Jesus and the other diners wouldn't have been uh, sitting up to eat like, uh, like we do. Uh, they would have been reclining. You've seen this picture before. But it's always worth having another look at this because... Uh, it makes it very easy to see why it was that somebody who was coming from outside the group of diners, the first thing they would come to would be uh, a person's feet, one of the diners' feet. And that's what Mary of Bethany does. Uh, look at verse 3. Uh, whether or not she goes on is, uh, depends on which uh, gospel writer you're reading, but she starts at least with Jesus' feet and she pours perfume on his feet. His feet must have been dusty because he'd been walking around on the dusty streets with sandals and so on. And uh, maybe our feet are a bit more smelly because uh, we wear socks and so on. But actually maybe Jesus' feet too might have been smelly, I don't know. Anyway, she pours the perfume on and then she wipes it with her hair. I have to say, we talk about a messy church, don't we? We had messy church uh, on Wednesday, just gone, uh, but as we do regularly. But uh, this, this scene is not just messy. It's frankly pretty yucky as well. It's not a very nice image. You can picture the, the, uh, all the things getting together, the different substances involved, and uh, it's not a very pretty picture. But uh, that's what Mary was ready to do uh, for Jesus. We're going to see that in uh, more close-up. You see Mary uh, doing that with, with Jesus' feet. As Mary pours on the perfume and wipes it, its fragrance fills the whole house. It's, it's, uh, so the fragrance extends far beyond the original act, what she's doing with his feet. It's true, of course, in the house, as the uh, fragrance uh, spreads around, but it's true over history as well. In Matthew and Mark's telling of the anointing, Jesus spells out, actually, that uh, Mary's costly act of devotion would be remembered wherever the gospel is preached. And so it's appropriate that it's read at a church and remembered at a church church on Ashley Road today, 2,000 years later and 2,000 miles away, but this event is recalled. Mary's act is extravagant. Look at verse 3, the perfume from the nard plant, can we have the previous one? 
Yeah, Mary's uh, is just perfect of course, of course. But um, uh, for now, we're just thinking about the spreading of the perfume. The perfume, the nard plant, uh, the perfume is expensive. Actually, Mark has this very expensive. Uh, predictably, some people get annoyed at Mary's extravagance. You know where I'm going next. Um, John says that Judas Iscariot said, said it because he was the treasurer, but Matthew and Mark also um, involved some other disciples in this objection as well. But the point is, however much the perfume that we see there, however much it cost, uh, that, that's not the point actually. And the point isn't even how the money might otherwise have been spent, although that's the point that Judas raises. Rather, the point is how devoted Mary was to spend her limited resources in this way, uh, anointing Jesus. As I read this, and as I you know, found myself thinking about it over the course of uh, the last few days, uh, I found myself thinking about our worship and our devotion. It sometimes seems rather half-hearted, a bit lukewarm by comparison with Mary's. Mary, Mary's is an act of costly devotion. It costs her something. And that should humble us because we're thinking about the kind of impact that Jesus should have on people around him. You've seen this picture already, so it's no surprise that objections are raised. Of course, there are objections to spending priorities in many walks of life. Uh, there are usually people who uh, have alternatives in mind, and that's true for governments, that's true for individuals, that's true for churches, that's true for every sort Whatever the situation, there are usually ideas about um, what could be done with the money. The particular objection, we, here we've got a, a lawyer saying, saying, Objection! Judas is doing that. Judas raises the objection uh, about the expensive perfume poured on Jesus' feet and that the money spent on the perfume could have gone to the poor. It rings true. Things like that are often said. Of course, financial accountability is a good thing. But we need to uh, just think about the motives involved. Sometimes motives in questioning how money is spent are what they appear to be. And uh, verse 6 spells that out in relation to Judas. But sometimes there's an ulterior motive. Sometimes even if we don't have an ulterior motive like Judas's, which is spelled out for us, our priorities are more about penny-pinching and less about honouring Jesus. And that's, again, humbling as we think about our church budget and other things. Jesus' response to the objection in verses 7 and 8 is a response that fascinates me. Uh, he says, in verse 7, he says, Leave Mary alone. And then he goes on to say, you'll always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. There are a couple of things that uh, strike me about this. Um, first is that Jesus focuses attention on himself. 
I said, we are thinking about build-up. It's build-up. Everything's centering on Jesus. Uh, in Lent, on Good Friday, in Easter, and beyond, everything is uh, focusing on Jesus. Jesus himself draws attention to that. He says that um, she's an- Mary's anointing him for his forthcoming death. But I'm also struck, the other thing that strikes me about this is the way he says there will always be poor people. Most of you know I spent my working years before I became a vicar in the overseas aid business doing assignments in various uh, developing countries and some aid campaigns use slogans like making poverty history. Uh, The intentions of course of using words like that are very good but we need to be quite careful uh, before saying things like that rather glibly because Jesus knows better than us and he says that the poor will always be with us. There are, there are and always will be poor people. I'm reminded of a question I'm sometimes asked about uh, why I uh, turned in my old business and uh, went off to train for ministry and so on. Uh, and I think well, my answer always hinges around uh, some of the things, not all of the things, but some of the things we're doing uh, improved lives. But nothing transforms a life like a relationship with God does. Rich or poor, nothing transforms like a relationship with God does. And that's one of the things that led me into vicaring. I want to end by uh, thinking about the underlying message of this passage, which is that everything it's pointing forward to is actually about death. Uh, I spent some time in uh, Paul Cemetery this week. Uh, it was cold, it was damp, um, but uh, not a very nice place to be. And we do, a lot of people try and avoid uh, thoughts about death and cemeteries and so on, but actually that's the focus of this. Jesus knows that everything in the run-up to his coming to Jerusalem, it all points forward to his death. He knows it, and uh, he's spoken about it several times. He's predicted that he will suffer and die, and of course rise after the third day, and so on. Um, The disciples hear Jesus say this a bunch of times, but they don't really get it. They don't really understand. Uh, The text doesn't tell us actually how much Mary of Bethany understood about what she was doing, but her actions were significant. Our our service today is a communion service, and we have the actions, the service is built around the action of sharing bread and wine. And it's the action, it's it's the doing of that. It says, it's almost an enacted sermon. Uh, There's something about it that points us to Jesus. Mary's actions were very significant and Jesus himself says, as I said earlier, that the perfume is to anoint him, to get him ready uh, for his burial. And I guess it's a foretaste, therefore, of what Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus do uh, with the spices, although they have a lot more, they have 75 pounds. It's a significant 
quantity after they took Jesus' lifeless body down uh, from the cross. When people decide to follow Jesus, what they're doing is embracing the way of the cross with all its pain and death. So as we head towards Good Friday, that's what we're doing. We're thinking about the build-up, not to just a great celebration. We're thinking about build-up to a great, awe-inspiring, humbling event. That's what this is part of, the build-up to that. But then we're also looking ahead beyond that. We're looking ahead to Easter Victory over the grave, life beyond the grave, all that God has in store. Jesus went through all of this for us. So my question to you as I finish is how would you respond? Will you respond like Mary of Bethany in costly devotion to Jesus? If you're ready to thank God and go his way, then I invite you to say, Amen. To this closing prayer. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you gave Jesus to die in our place. Thank you that he approached Jerusalem knowing that a gruesome death awaited him, but he embraced that for us. We're sorry for all the things that are wrong in our lives that meant such a price needed to be paid. We try and pretend otherwise sometimes, but we know deep within us that it's our sin, our wrongdoing, that uh, requires this price to be paid. We ask you please to forgive us in Christ and rebuild us in Christ as part of the life of your kingdom and prompt us to respond to Jesus with costly, wholehearted devotion by Mary of Bethany all our lives in his name. Amen.